Hi, folks. My name is Kamal Zargar. I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, I work for Untitled Upvert, and uh, we have a great conversation for you this afternoon. It's, um, it's, it's titled Strange Combinations, Analog Meets Virtual, and it's been organized and presented by our partners, Facebook. Um, I'm going to let our moderator give the proper introduction of our panelists and the scope of the conversation, which is who is James Voorhees. He is the chair of the curatorial practice program at the CCA school here in San Francisco. So thank you for being here. Thank you to Facebook, and also thank you to Withers Worldwide, who is our programming partner also on the podcast. So James? Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kamal. Um, and also, I want to reiterate our thanks to Untitled and Facebook for hosting the series of podcast conversations. Um, like Kamal said, today, today's uh, talk is titled Strange Combinations, Analog Meets Virtual. And we have Kira Dominguez, who is a California-based textile artist. Last year, she earned a dual degree of MFA and MA in Fine Arts and Visual and Critical Studies from California College of the Arts. And she is represented by Eleanor Harwood Gallery here in San Francisco, where her second solo, so with the gallery Intrusions, is on through February 29th. Um, and she's a currently a graduate fellow at the Headland Center for the Arts. Yeah. And, um, and Charlie Sutton is the head of design for the Facebook app. He specializes in interaction design for mobile as well as AR and VR. And he, too, lectures at California College of the Arts. So you have a trio from CCA up here today. Yeah. Um, and so Strange Combinations is the title. And at first, I thought that is uh, indeed could possibly be the case. So we'll explore that. But I think some of the topics that we're going to go through and that will thread the conversation is really like building community, building connections to audiences. and. Um, how these different technologies of, of textiles and weaving, as well as AR and VR and, and the app, and connect in different ways um, to uh, society and connect each other. Um, but Kira has an installation up right now for the last few days, as well as performance. And I thought we might just begin by her talking a little bit about what that is. It's called Cosmic Fluff, and to, to kind of get us going here, Kira. So some of you may have contributed to the piece already over the last several days. We've been weaving together, and if you haven't had a chance, please come to the booth um, and, and strap yourself into the loom, and we'll create fabric together. Um, my sort of impulse for this piece was to start with a raw sheep fleece and to start pulling it apart and seeing how it expanded quite literally. You can get a fleece that's very compacted, and as soon as you start teasing it out, it goes everywhere. I mean, it gets on your clothes, it goes up your nose, it ends up on the ground, it's everywhere. Um, and this impulse led to both the color palette and realizing how many different shades of fleece, sort of a white fleece actually looks a little yellow and looks a little brown, looks a little black, it's, it's all over the place. But then also my background um, with weaving was in Southern Patagonia um, with uh, Mapuche weavers. Um, and Mapuche is sort of a catch-all phrase for several tribal groups in Chile, Argentina, and Uruguay, and in the, the woman I was studying with, sort of her um, memories is, as a child, was the fluff that kind of surrounded um, the compo, the hills where she lived. And as she got closer to home, the fluff got denser. So she would find a little bit of fluff 
and she'd get she'd find the fence and see oh there's more fluff and the and the and the further she stepped towards home the more fluff there was because her uh, her mother is a famous weaver in the area. Good. So, so can you t tell us what, what it is that you're working on? What, what it is that you're working on here in relation to this? Right. So um, when Facebook approached me and started thinking, um, asked about this question of empathy and what does it mean to sort of find connections um, uh, through technology, through material, how do I find connections as a weaver? Um, I mean, quite literally, the material itself is connective. Um, it stretches out. It can stretch very thin or thick. Um, but it, it is, um, it's binding, um, both as a material as well as to the hands that touch it. Um, when uh, It also suggests a different bodily movement, right? When you have material in your hands, your hands start to move in a different kind of way than if they have a pencil versus wool versus a computer versus a phone. Um, and how do our bodies, how are our bodies asked to move and connect to one another in different ways? For me, when I was in Argentina and spent, I, I spent several years um, living there and, uh, and working with material in a very specific way, I realized that um, when I got back to the States, that bodily movement was actually no, no longer accessible to me. The sort of like what made sense in terms of a language between many people um, weaving uh, was it, no one, no one knew knew about it. Like they didn't know what I was doing. They didn't know the impulse. There was just a, a complete sort of muting then of this kind of cultural um, language that I wanted. I wanted a way to express. And so I found Swedish weavers here in the states, and then started exploring and finding more people who weave in these kinds of languages. But really, what I re what what I was doing was finding people who moved their bodies in a similar way as I did to express language. Right. Mm -hmm. um, um, that wasn't spoken, it wasn't written. Um, it was a different way of embodying um, a story. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so the connections that I wanted to create was to find the people here, and it's been amazing over the last several days, sure. the people who seem to just have this natural kind of proclivity, like their body actually wants to move this way. It's like they're secret weavers and they don't even know it, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and and giving people the, um, the sort of space, the platform to do that, mm -hmm. um, then we can start communicating in a way that, you know, I can't do if I just do this in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> so like a really ancient, really ancient technology that's literally physically bringing people together to make, to make a something. And right. I have some questions I want to come back to, but one of the words that you mentioned was empathy. And Another phrase that's come up over the last several days is kind of the loneliness epidemic. And I, I thought, Charlie, like, could you maybe talk a little bit about your role as head of design for Facebook app and then where some of these um, terms as well as like this connectivity comes in to the things that you're thinking about? Yeah, definitely the materials that we use are different. Um, but even in the digital, I think a lot of the same considerations are there. And I think, uh, similar to art, I think great design works on the specific level you know, our desire to come home on a Friday night and be entertained, but it also tries to work on the universal level, which is why do I seek to be entertained? Maybe I, I feel tired, I feel down. There's undercurrents of emotion that our work needs to address at the same time. And so a lot of the themes that, that we were just talking about, I think apply even in the digital realm. An example I can think of actually is, you know, we all, um, you know, look for videos from time to time. I'm, I'm really into surfing, so I'm always watching sort of old <laughs> surfing videos. And, um, but there's a sensation of, of just sort of 
endlessly scrolling these videos that leaves us, I think, a little bit empty at the end, even when we have been entertained. And uh, one of the things that we did to try and kind of tease that out is uh, when you watch a live video, for example, you see the counts of you know, how many people are currently watching that stream. And we, we thought it would be interesting on this idea to maybe put the same count when the video was just a normal, normal video. And you don't know who they are, but there was something very interesting to me. It was like 11 o'clock at night. I'm watching <laughs> an old 70s surfing clip again. And I'm like, there are like 12 people somewhere in the world who are also into this right now. And I, I don't know what time zone it is. I don't know why they're feeling the way they feel, but that little moment of visceral connection. And it was just an icon with a number next to it, mm -hmm. but it, it spoke to the universal, this idea that we seek to be with other people and to, to build our identity with other people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, while we're not using fabric and, and wool and we're not physically interacting, I, I think that universal desire to be accompanied, mm -hmm. even when we're in these very intimate moments, uh, is something that we also try and build on ourselves. Yeah. And in terms of like virtual reality, because one could think that that's such an isolating kind of experience with the headset on and so forth, like, so what kind of topics are at the forefront now for you and your team when you're thinking about designing or thinking about virtual reality or, or the next step in virtual reality for you? <clears throat> when I was doing a lot of work in VR, I think your initial desire is to embrace the technology. Um, and you think about faster and higher resolution and trying to basically replicate reality. And, and then after a while, you realize that that facsimile is maybe not what is interesting. Um, and a, a really lovely example to me is there's a fantastic documentary called Notes on Blindness, which is about the experience of a man who slowly goes blind over many years. And uh, there's a documentary, but the VR experience is really interesting because it tries to communicate what does it mean to hear the sound of rain on the roof, and, but you're blind. And so using the visual spatial medium of VR, they render the rain as uh, just a sort of blue particle system. But in that like, moment, you think, even though I know that a blind person is not seeing that, you're actually getting a sense of what that sound might feel like through a different sense. And so I think what's very interesting in VR, and, and we tried to dig into it as well, is don't be literal. Let the brain and the emotions do in a lot of the work and fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And uh, people will bring what the technology doesn't bring. Mm -hmm. And if you don't leave space for them, maybe they can't bring those feelings and emotions. So we always try to tap into that. And sometimes you have to do it in silly ways. Like you don't always want to be so declarative and in people's faces. One of the most pleasurable things we ever built was a high five because uh, it had no function. It was one of those sort of Easter eggs that you have. Um, but this, you, we can all do high fives almost without looking. And even though the person at this virtual table might have been 100 kilometers away, there's something amazing about just going like that and feeling the vibration of a human hand mm -hmm. virtually. Uh, and it, it didn't feel like a real high five, but it, it got at the same feeling of just that moment of connection. And, and so sometimes you can find these very lovely, small, seemingly trivial things, but we found people got more joy out of the high five than they did out of much more high technology immersive things. So I, I think there's something to that. Yeah. 
I mean, I think there's also something to not um, disregarding either technology, the analog or the digital. And we seem to be also in a very like long moment of, uh, of negotiating with the different factors that come with each technology. And it could be isolation, it could be ways of bringing people together and so forth. And, and I'm curious because both of you are also here in different capacities, almost from research, uh, researching um, with people and in a group and in, with unexpected kind of encounters with people. And so, Kira, maybe you could also reflect on you're here in a way quite vulnerable, um, not you, but the, the process of weaving. And so, how have some of the people who have come and interacted and been, how have you given them some self-confidence to like, you know, with this material and so yeah. forth? Yeah, no, and actually it's been interesting for me to realize that on the one hand, I'm, I was a little bit skeptical about weaving in a public space because I don't necessarily want it to just become this sort of spectacle or performance um, that's a novelty uh, that people can see, but to experience then working with people that I find out, I, I ask them, I'm like, have you woven before? Because the, um, it tends to be like architects or people with like high spatial reasoning that their bodies actually just naturally want to move in this way mm -hmm. and understand kind of what's happening very quickly and in a way that like I, I, don't, I don't even have to show them. One group of people started weaving and I just stepped back and like watched them do this because <laughs> they, just, they just intuitively started wanting to play with the materials. Whereas other people, they're, they're, they're sort of frozen for a minute and they, they want like the kind of encouragement um, to, to see me sort of operating the machine and then they just have like one thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, the other part of it for me is this storytelling aspect where I have a fixed audience that are strapped into either side of this loom right now. So the three of us can just start having this conversation about, um, I mean, broadly about like who we are and where we're from, that sort of thing. But then also practically, like what it feels like to, oh wait, I missed, I missed this strand. And oh no, like what, this is stretching out, what's happening here? Um, and, and sort of realizing, oh, actually that's fine. Like leave that there, that looks great. Or um, it's okay if this breaks because this is unspun sheep wool and that's just what the material is gonna wanna do. Like there's, there's nothing wrong. Like you mm -hmm. can't mess this up, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so that's the sort of, there's a freedom there then mm -hmm. that, uh, that we can all experience a technology that is, has been stepped forward in many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but that gives us the space to still very much be in like our bodies and realize, hey, I need to go to the bathroom right now. <laughs> or like, mm -hmm. you know what, I think I'm done. I, oh, I saw my friend over there, I, yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, um, it's been great. Like, yeah, and both technologies also are very specific to the Bay Area. Um, both like cra craft, a long history of craft here and textiles and the legacy that exists as well as what we know where, where technology in the digital realm with Facebook and, and elsewhere. And Charlie, I'm, I'm curious like then if you could talk a bit about, um, because social media is obviously so immaterial and digital and, and prom the promise of connectivity, but what does it mean then to step into like the physical space of the social? And what kind of research do you think this will, you're gathering that will help and influence the next kind of work that you do with the apps? Well, actually, I, I think one of the key things was just mentioned that most social interaction takes some moments of somebody has to be a little bit brave. Um, even with audiences that we know very well. I can imagine if the three of us went out there, even though we now know each other, there's a moment where someone has to take the lead mm -hmm. or 
there's an awkwardness that we have to get over. And I think in, in the past we've had rituals that helped us with that. We, we build rituals and norms so that we can transit all of these social spaces. But in the digital realm, I, we haven't had the time or maybe the scale is such that what are the right rituals? And it's always been fascinating to me to see how we need help being brave in the digital sense and we have to find little habits. And my, one of my favorites is the emergence of gift culture. You know, like something that used to be a throwaway part of the internet has suddenly become part of the ritual of communicating because I think it lets us lower the pressure. Um, even with those that we are intimate with, uh, you know, I remember when I introduced my mum and dad to gifts, it was one of the great moments because I realized that we could code all of this information in a GIF that might get over the awkwardness of some of those sort of long distance digital relationships. So I think a lot of us in, in as we use social media and we make social media, we're trying to find substitute rituals and little norms that help us be brave with each other. Because um, even, even if we know each other intimately, we always have to take a risk. Mm -hmm. You know, when you bother your partner to pick up the groceries on the way home, or you're the first person to invite someone to this event, there's that, that moment when we, we sort of leap into the unknown. And I think in the digital space, we're still trying to find those handholds. Yeah. And, you know, whether they're gifts or whatever things that we're coming up with, I think that's really fascinating. And a lot of them come from art, yeah. you know, sort of those deeper ideas visually. So I, I find it fascinating just to see how quickly they evolve because if we'd had this podcast, we wouldn't have had a podcast 20 years ago, but yeah. if we'd yeah. been on the FM radio 20 years ago mm -hmm. talking about this, um, you know, the idea of sending each other snippets of repeating low-resolution television shows as a way to be comfortable with each other would have been pretty baffling. Yeah. And I imagine it will be in 20 years time as well. Yeah, because I mean, what you bring up then is like feeling and like the way like both being in a social context, um, there is a vulnerability because you're inserting your ideas and you're feeling um, into an unpredictable environment. And how do you engage with this technology? How do you communicate through social media? So. So I think going back then too, like getting a little further into empathy, and maybe each of you could talk about what that word means to you and your practices, and um, yeah, we can go a little bit more toward empathy, what that means. Yeah, I was gonna say like too, this idea of being able to, to sort of allow people to make mistakes um, and to, 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 to like to have the guffaw and all of us sort of realizing that we we also do that so like with weaving it's it's just so clear that we're always making mistakes i'm making mistakes like and the mistake actually is is uh for me a more indicative of the tool that we all have this expectation of the way that the tool ought to function and now somebody has moved in a different way right that's counter to the tool and so now we actually need to renegotiate as a community is it is, this, is the tool lacking? Is it needing something else? Is it, it's not the person that's lacking, right? That now we need to design something differently um, to address whatever it is that has been now exposed or made present because of the way that someone has chosen to move with the material. Um, and so um, for me, a lot of these kinds of technologies then of, of the way that people have held tension, right? And, and 
I mean, there's a reason why all of our metaphors are weaving metaphors with internets and teasing things apart and all those kinds of things is because we, we exist in tension. We like that tension and the loom itself as a tensioning device has seen sort of so many different iterations. And I feel like at all of those points where the technology has changed for the loom, but then also just generally when technology changes, it's us as a community now needing to renegotiate. We, we used to know how to interact with each other. We had the right codes, but now suddenly someone has moved in a different way. And now we have a new way that we must now feel through this situation together, literally empathy or in pathos. Pathos has this negative kind of suffering feel. And often there is a bit of suffering, right? To suddenly get over this, like, I'm not comfortable anymore. I don't quite know what to do now that this immigrant is here. Or now that I have this, like, weird knot in my fabric. Like, both of those things now make me deeply uncomfortable. And I need to figure out how do I move forward through this moment of being deeply uncomfortable to find a new way of relating both to myself and who I thought I knew I... I thought I knew who I was until I met this person, until I encountered this technology or this problem. And it's like now, now actually our communities look different. Now we've, we have an empathetic connection that has created sort of a different kind of way of movement for everybody. So that's constantly being renegotiated because there's no sort of fixed kind of, all right, now we've discovered it. Now we, now we have a relationship. It's like, no, moving a different way. Yeah, so. yeah I love that idea of renegotiation because a negotiation we're all having to make now is from one to one to one to a hundred to one to everybody. And uh, I certainly found in my career as a designer, in, in the beginning, I remember making a, a camera for outdoor audiences and I was very into the outdoors. So my intuition, my empathy for athletes who were rock climbing was really strong. And I, I felt convicted that I, I could understand where they were coming from. And then as the number of people who might use something grows from uh, you know, 100 rock climbers in the Bay Area to every rock climber in the world, you can hold on to a little bit of your knowledge and maybe some fundamentals, but we're all grappling with the fact that our, our demands on empathy now have to stretch right. to hundreds of thousands and millions uh, who we'll never meet. And it, I think for me, the... It, almost our empathy cycle as artists and designers is like a bathtub. We start out very sure, like with the people you're weaving with, your, I know where they're coming from. And then the audience grows massively and we try and get information to build our empathy. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to read an article or I'm going to gather science to, to understand how, how all these people are feeling. And then at the other side of the bathtub again, it, it does come back to these deep human universals again. But then also that, I mean, to push a little further on that, I mean, that is connected to physically in some ways being together. And so, like, do you, can you talk a little bit about, like, discussions about where the digital and the immaterial quality of, like, the digital still falls short or does it fall short of, like, where we learn to have connections by being with one another, by the way we look into one another's eyes and the human qualities that bring us together just because our eyes connect with one another. I, I guess I, I'm maybe more optimistic that just as we develop the ability to understand what it was like to be in a village together, I'm sure that was a shock at the time when there was a 140 of us, not 10, we are developing the capability to build empathy with much greater distances and through a digital medium. and. 
an example that's very personal to me is I'm Australian and uh, the horrible wildfires in Australia. Many of you in this room have never been to Australia. You have never met a koala in person. <laughs> um, they're actually quite vicious creatures, so maybe that's for the best. But I, I think when I saw the reaction of the world and, and of my friends and colleagues um, through donations or through the outpouring of emotion, there was something deep there that was very expressible through the digital medium mm -hmm. and maybe only expressible through the digital medium. Mm -hmm. That How did that collection of people come together and sort of feel grief together over what was happening with those bushfires? Yeah. I, that makes me feel a lot of optimism because I, if it had happened 100 years ago, it would be a dry paragraph that came by ship yeah. <laughs> and then it would have been a telegram or a, it would have been one photograph or you'd rely on someone who'd been and seen the bushfires. Mm -hmm. But I, I try and see what it brings to us to be digitally connected. So I, I'm optimistic. Yeah, I can that. see that though. Also just the immediacy in which we can share like a space where we are taking a photo right now that marks a moment in time and that also is connected to how we might be feeling or, the, or in, in this very moment. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was wondering just this sort of there's a space for struggle, right? That like weaving necessitates this kind of like it's a wrestling with like the fabric and with each other and like and textile processes in general. I'm wondering like in your experience um, where the digital sort of allows for that struggle, right? Like to, to literally feel through something together to create that pathos, the empathetic connection. Where is the digital space allowing for like struggle, communal struggle that you've seen? I think, it, first of all, there are some places where it's not doing as well. I, I think we are realizing that a lot of our interaction in the digital space is through writing. Yeah. And, and writing in society traditionally has enormous power, like it, we right. associate it with authority. Right. Um, but we can all write now, and we can all, most of us can broadcast very widely, and, and it feels very powerful. Um, but what I'm noticing, I think, is when, when we acknowledge that as more of a verbal culture, we understand that when we're writing back and forth on the internet in struggle with each other, we're doing it in, a, in maybe the lightness or the free-flowing way that we are doing right now. And um, I'm noticing actually messaging culture is quite interesting. If you see what people are doing on WhatsApp, if you were looking at your threads, it's just like a verbal conversation. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to be able to um, have discussions and go back and forth acknowledging that even though they are written words and that used to be heavy mm -hmm. we can treat it a little bit more lightly and I think over time we'll we'll get better at understanding the role of words on the internet because mm -hmm. at the moment it has the heaviness of its authority of the written word and then the organic nature of what it means to just talk to someone and, and maybe say the wrong thing or be a bit loud on the microphone or use an analogy or say something about koalas that half the people don't like because they think koalas are cuddly. So I think we're just going to get good at that. And I always tell myself we've had 15 years, like at maybe 30 years if you're very generous. And I think if we didn't give all of the other mediums only 15 years to mature, we, we gave them accidentally hundreds of thousands of years. So I try and look at our evolution gently and say after 15 to 30 years maybe we haven't developed all the skills for the struggle yet but yeah. we will get there 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it makes me think of, like, related to my next question is around education, because even, like, we all three engage in different ways in an academic environment and work with younger people. And I'm always amazed and really surprised at how articulate many of the students who I work with on a regular basis are and their grasp of language, which is so different than what mine was at their age. And so I'm curious to just talk about like within your respective fields and the, the technology, like what are some of the kind of things that young people are thinking about with textiles or what are, what are, the, what are the things they're pushing or even the students in interaction design, for example, at CCA, like, like what is it that just is being amplified and, and furthered or, or that's on their minds? Yeah, well, I mean, I think with climate crisis right now, I mean, you have people looking back, right, towards um, analog kinds of technologies. I think that's part of the impulse um, where weaving popularly um, has uh, sort of seen an uptick of people interested um, in, in textile processes, especially among younger um, younger folks, because it is something they don't need to plug into, right, that they can... Um, they can start thinking about how is there's like a physical connection with the environment around them. Um, the, um, you want to no, keep going. Like, remind me what yours like. I, I lost my train of or thought. Just, I mean, I think just by engaging with the academic environment, also a younger practitioners, like just what is on their mind that they're pushing in the classroom or the workshops and so forth. And right, right. And I think <laughs> having, yeah, having the space then, right, like to to engage differently so that they're not, um, I, I, what I've heard, and I have two kids, they're uh, 12 and 14, um, so like that teenage kind of uh, age, middle school is, uh, they're being told and sort of their life is being too curated online almost, right? So that they're being told what to learn, how to enter things, um, the sort of limited number of choices. And how do you then like push back through that? Analog technologies allows for that in a way that sometimes digital feels a little bit too much like there's, there's almost too much of a learning curve, right? To be able to say, I want to reprogram my computer in order to go in this direction. Um, as well as this kind of idea of, especially for language, I think um, not that I've necessarily seen it with them, that they would express it this way, but that they want to speak outside of just written words, right? Like, my son doesn't particularly love to express himself with, at 14 with a lot of written words. <laughs> like, he is, he, but he and his friends can still just, like, being in a room together, go and playing outside, that sort of thing. Like, there's something about sweat, right, that's just very communicative. <laughs> and so, um, where is there space for that still for um, especially a younger generation? And I think, again, just keeping it in tension so that they're on their phones. It's not that he doesn't use a phone, but that he's also then being pushed in this other direction still towards making that kind of connection, so, yeah. Yeah, I really like that. And it's interesting, one other thing that surprised me is uh, when I was younger, video editing was like the most painful thing and it was expensive. <laughs> and so I, I think I became very reluctant even as the tools became cheaper and easier to express myself through video, maybe because I just had this like old idea of um, editing in the back of my head and it's interesting how video while it's not analog to see how people um, now use video as a form of expression and you know whether it's in stories or you know other ways that they're using all these tropes and um, ideas from film and from 
all of the media they consume, but so comfortable with it. You know, it's sort of, and it's amazing to see how quickly ideas and memes spread through video now. It's almost become like the sort of analog communication medium of the internet because you can get a lot of these same type of advantages like call and response and copying and experimentation that maybe is a little bit less precious. So I'm really interested to see where video is going particularly um, because it, it feels like maybe that is becoming the language of the internet. Um, and I think as a lot of artists have seen it's very interesting when video becomes a medium how we communicate a lot of these ideas. So I'm noticing you know, younger designers and, and young people in general are a lot more comfortable with that medium than perhaps I was. I still have that weirdness of how do I sound. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm just really interested to see where that goes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that that might be a good place to stop too because it also just speaks to like at first the topic is strange combinations, but really, <laughs> It is, there are so many different connections between how we are relating to these technologies that at first seem disparate, but that it is like, I, like we're discussing like a longer period of just in, in, engaging and in, in being together with it. So um, I think on behalf of Untitled and Facebook, again, like Charlie and Kira, I want to thank you for the conversation. Thank so, you, James. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>